So Elliot, what size are we talking? Ooh, I mean, so, so small, like absolutely microscopic that you can barely see it. it actually, you can't even see it with the human eye. It's just, and it's, you know, it's everywhere and it's, it's in, inside you and, you know, it's, it's like so good for you too. It really is. Like and algae, algae, algae. <laughs> how did <laughs> it's we, all over the place. How did we fall in love with this microscopic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I got started in algae back in 2016. Next week, it'll be seven years. Wow. That I've been doing this. It's fully like a fifth of my over a fifth of my life now, which is wild to think of and yeah i mean i got into this because i think that the world is a really messed up place and i think that we have if you see problems in the world and you have the ability to do something about it you kind of have this moral imperative to try to try something anything and yeah i mean like there's so many problems and challenges and as entrepreneurs i think that we have this awareness of all these bad things going on. And so it's almost overwhelming at times, but I decided to hone in on some problems that I could solve and I have some skills in synthetic biology, particularly focused around stuff like food insecurity, replacing petrochemical supply chains, like doing all sorts of like green, that good green, you know, different kind of sticky icky. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a I'm a scum lord, a pond scum lord. <laughs> you are a pond scum lord, but my favorite yes. pond scum lord. Oh, how, how did we meet in the first place? Tell me, tell me the story of our meeting. Our our meet cute was at an accelerator program called Halcyon, mm -hmm. and I remember very vividly, Elliot, that you made a laboratory in the attic of this mansion in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., and mm. have tanks upon tanks upon tanks of algae. But I also remember you cultivating the algae and feeding a very famous person <laughs> this algae <laughs> tank. What is yeah. the story of that? Oh, my God. Yeah, so we had this meeting coming up with Seth Goldman, who is the founder of... Uh, honest tea and big food entrepreneur and really all about sustainability um, and started a venture fund and whatnot. And so he was coming in and I was like, oh, well, we got to do something. And so I had this stack of, of aquarium tanks filled with this green bubbling algae and I was eating it. And so I thought, you know, other people could eat it. And so they asked me to like prepare some food for him to come on by. And so I like scooped out a bunch of this algae and made like pancakes and like a full breakfast kind of thing. Cause we used to do these like family breakfasts. At Halcyon. I, I think it was I think it was like every week or so. We would it was do every like Monday, breakfast. I think. Yeah. And then Seth mm -hmm. Goldman came to one to talk yeah. with all the founders. And I just remember you coming in with a tray of pancakes and they were green. Yeah, yeah. Some some great algae sludge. I was gonna do like green eggs and ham, but he's also like pretty Jewish. So <laughs> <laughs> it probably wasn't going to be happening. We'll keep, yeah. we'll keep the ham out of it. But I just think that's mm -hmm. so cool. So when you talk about algae, though, Elliot, what are you trying to do with this pond scum? How, yeah. do, how do you turn pond scum into, A, a business, but B, social impact? 
Yeah. The so one of the the key problems that we have is that the things that we consume are poisoning the world around us. And this is just on the basis of the different materials that we use. So like, even if you try to avoid it, no matter what you do, you're going to cause some harm to yourself and the environment on your day to day, like just going about your daily business. And it's because we only have access to petrochemical based materials in everything. Like it's in uh, the water that we drink and we have like credit card amounts of plastic in our bloodstream and like it's in our bath products it's in our everything it's all over the place and so as a means of starting to get to a better place we need something that not only has the, the like scale and the size of application as something like the petrochemical industry but we also need something that has not only the same kind of characteristics but better better for you, better for the environment, better for the planet, right? And so when taking a look at like oil itself, a lot of oil is just leftover algae that's been underground for long periods of time. And so as a means of replacing and displacing all of that oil, uh, it's better to actively grow algae and go directly to the source as opposed to pumping stuff out of the ground and extracting all these different things. And oh, by the way, as it grows, it absorbs tons of CO2. And so we work with now 83 farms in 15 different countries to produce about 566 metric tons of algae every single month. Wow. And it and it gets shipped all over the world. Um, now I'm just looking for support to do that more. And we started out like kind of like the Elon Musk master plan. We started out with high value products because that's the only way as a company you can really get by is selling something really expensive at first and then coming down the cost curve. So our like Tesla Roadster is a uh, series of pigments that we produce from algae that replace artificial dyes and colors and food cosmetics and textiles. And so that's, that's the first thing we're replacing coal tar dyes and that like leftover oil scum at the bottom of the barrel that you end up eating anytime you eat a candy product or you end up putting on your face anytime you use eyeshadow, lipstick, hair dye, um, or all the stuff that's used to dye clothing too. Wow. So what is your, you know, model three version that once yeah. you're able to work down the curve that you can just have as a market penetrative product that's everywhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the dream with company is to be able to have uh, materials produced locally and like the things that you really need as your basic ingredients and materials producing locally and actually providing a like carbon sink for local communities and something that treats wastewater and treats CO2 and, and turns it into useful items. And so then you can take all these raw materials and use them to turn into the basic everyday items, whether it's like cups or whether it's uh, different kind of plastic like materials that biodegrade. Um, or if it's basic medicines, you know, like on-site production of medicinal compounds that you might need. And so the dream is to go from something like a, um, right now we work with farmers which grow in these big ponds mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere in like desert environments, you know, in places like India, Peru, Thailand, Indonesia, all over the world. And so instead having like your local algae farm that produces the things that you need for uh, basic medical care uh, in terms of pharmaceuticals or uh, basic materials in terms of plastics. I call it like the four P's. So we're starting out with pigments and then we get into proteins, which is all kinds of like edible proteins and enzymes. We start moving into uh, plastics and eventually we're starting 
to go towards like specialty pharmaceuticals and doing all kinds of different fun things. So mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a couple of projects in the works with um, various groups that are going to be working on those elements and chipping away at those things. And you're seeing right now, and I'll, I'll put the royal you, we are seeing right <laughs> now a change in food systems to more sustainable food. You're seeing lab-grown right. meat, lab-grown fish. So would algae support that? Yeah, yeah. So um, what I like doing, which is a little bit different than many of these like very heavy capital S science-based approaches is actually incorporating farmers in the overall process. Mm -hmm. I think there's this, this significant disconnect that we've had with our food sources and just the idea that most of the food that you eat is produced elsewhere. And people really want that like local and understanding of the transparency of the supply chain, how things are grown and where they're grown and actually be involved in that process a little bit more. Um, and so something that I'm really emphasizing is um, being able to support farmers in what we do. Farmers are my main constituents in terms of like, we, we wouldn't exist as a company without all the farmers that we work with. And so in particular, I'm trying to emphasize rather than having something be produced in a lab, like we have farmers in developing communities that we pay more than a living wage to that grow, farm, and harvest all this algae. And it looks like green sludge and then it's dried out as powder. And then we can then process it into various compounds that go into the supply chain. But in particular, like I'm emphasizing working with these farmers and making it a lot more human, you know? Yeah, no, I, I really love that. And I mean, I can understand too, when you're working with so many people, growing your team very intentionally probably has to be very careful of making sure you're bringing on the right people and the right skills. Because when I think of you, Elliot, I think of mad scientist, mad businessman, like incredible. I'm mad. I'm just mad. mad. <laughs> just like, I mean, listen, mad. The, the mad really comes down to the whole like sure. gurgling of like the tanks, which I'll always yeah. have in the bottom of my heart. <laughs> The best image of the best times, you know, when you, you look back and you go, oh, I wish I knew about the, you know, the the glory times when they were happening, right? right. I, I just, right. I love that. So that's meant with all the love in the world. But when you're growing your team, you know, can you talk about the process of, of how you, how you grew your team, how you shrank your team, how you grew your team? Like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 What's that story been like? Yeah. I mean, Part of, part of my challenge is that, especially at the very fringe of the possible, at the very edge of technological innovation, um, the things that we're doing haven't been done before. And so I have to look in very weird places to identify the people, to form the team, to make it happen. And I'm trying to find the very best in the world, but when something hasn't been done before, like it's very difficult to determine who is the best in the world. And so I, I liken it to putting a heist team together. And so when you're putting a heist team together, you need your safe cracker and you need your wheelman and you need your muscle and you need like all these different elements of a proper heist team. And when I'm putting my team together, what I look at is somebody with a specialty and then a generality. And I find them in all kinds of weird places. Like you wouldn't bet, like one, one of the crazy things is like you wouldn't expect to find really good laboratory workers in like commercial kitchens. Hmm. But like somebody who's working in a commercial kitchen is excellent as a laboratory technician because they do recipes again and again and again and again, and they have to turn out hundreds of plates of meals every single day. And they're really, really fast, really good at it. And they would probably like a more steady job that they don't have to work nights and weekends 
and in something where they get healthcare. So like those kind of things um, were alternatively like looking at the petrochemical industry and people that are guilty and feel remorse and using them as chemical engineers for all of the extraction work that we do with algae. And it's because they already have experience in all the equipment. They already have been, been doing it and they're willing to not work for the oil industry anymore because they want to shift to something different. And so like, there's all sorts of different weird places that I find people. I'm going through a bit of a uh, redoing of my team right now. So for the longest time, and part of the reason why it's taken so long is that uh, I haven't had many resources to actually get started. And I'm realizing now that one of the better ways to approach team building and actually like putting together a company is you pick the very best at first, and then you figure out the resources to get there, as opposed to making do with whatever you have and stumbling your way towards something. Um, the better thing to do is to create the plan of action and find the very best in the world and then secure the resources so that you can hire them and bring them on board. Um, for the longest time, what I did was I kind of made do with whatever I had. The most money my company has ever had in the bank account is $277,000 ever. And so it's very difficult to plan ahead and it's very difficult to do any sort of science, any sort of technical innovation. Um, I've built laboratories in the attic of Halcyon. and I've built laboratories in my parents' spare bedroom. I built laboratories in a shipping container, right? In a garage space, in my kitchen. Um, I think that the only official, um, the only amount of time that I've officially had laboratory space in the past seven years is one and a half years of those seven years. I've had official laboratory space to actually do work. And so it's kind of mind blowing to me to think of how much we could have gotten done given the right resources. And so it's a struggle to get off the ground. And now I'm rehashing the way that I'm thinking about things, going from a scarcity mindset where you're just making do and just getting to the next milestone, like steadily, gradually, and instead swinging for the fences and making a commitment to myself that if I don't have the resources to do it, it's not worth starting. Yeah. What about fundraising? Where did you get the capital? Who did you find? Who were your allies through that process? Mm -hmm. So over the course of seven years, the total amount of capital that I've raised is just about $900,000. And that's a lot of uh, penny pinching to make it seven years with only $900,000 for a startup. And like we've had to cut corners, we've had to do all kinds of crazy things, sell lab equipment to make bot, make do. Um, we've been making sales as well. So I, I'm very much under the um, under the idea and under the assumption that you need to sell something to be a company. And so customers and selling like pigments to customers have has been how we bootstrap. We've made I think over three hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales now. Um, and then in terms of like how we've supported ourselves too, uh, we got an NSF SBIR grant. Nice. And so that kind of like carried us through a little bit of technical innovation and development. Um, yeah, and I've, I've failed every which way along the way. And the thing that I tell myself is that these are cheap failures if they happen early enough. Yeah. Um, I've had all kinds of crazy stories and things happen from uh, being defrauded by a fake customer who stole $13,000 from us to having to start a COVID diagnostic company to fund the company because I was taking my paycheck and funneling back into Spira to um, 
raising money to like go test our technology in a moon habitat to um, going about, uh, you know, like testing with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies in the world. And so um, it's been a lot of ups and downs. And I think that something I'm, I'm recognizing is that the simpler the message, the better. And the, the, and the purpose of fundraising is more a search function. So what you're trying to do is you're seeking out people that would resonate the most with your message. And I've had a lot of investors that have chased after me, which seems great until you recognize the fact that it's it's got to be a mutual pairing and that you have to be willing to say no to investors who don't actually understand what you're doing. And so I'm constantly on the lookout for folks that really understand what we're doing and can support it beyond just capital because money is surprisingly cheap, right? Like it's, it's funny to be at a point of scarcity and not have much money in the bank account and say that. But to be honest, if you communicate well, you can get access to capital, but it can bite you in the ass. And so I really emphasize customers. And then those customers, every time that I focused in on customers, it's been a lot easier to go about raising money. No, I, I totally hear that. Um, fun pivot. Okay. Tell me about your love life, Elliot. How... <laughs> How has it been growing company, growing your company and, you know, moving across the country and having different relationships, founders, non-founder partners? Yeah. What's that all like? How's the love life of Elliot Roth? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you and I have talked about this a little bit privately, but like I went recently on a, on a tour of sorts where I I called it Elliot and the Seven Evil Ex Girlfriends, and they're not they're not evil they're not evil or anything like that. But I um I wanted to talk to all of the different exes that I had over the course of my entrepreneurial journey, and I'm I'm a serial monogamist, and I'm I'm very much like if I'm in a relationship, I'm in a relationship, and I like really love all the aspects. I love love. I love all the aspects of like being romantic getting to know someone and like sharing a life. I think life is really meant to be shared. And so I got a chance to, to ask all my exes. I asked them, like, was there any challenges or problems or anything that um, was happening in our relationship that you think could have been different or better or something that I can improve upon? Because I was really in this committed relationship until she cheated on me, um, where I was really focused in on like, how do I build a life with someone? And so I think part of the, the challenge that has occurred consistently is that I'm so focused and dedicated on my business that it's very difficult to carve out space for somebody else in my life unless they also understand what it means to build a company. And so I remember talking to you about this, where I have this rule now where I say I don't date civilians. And, and a civilian is somebody who doesn't understand the entrepreneurial journey, somebody who doesn't really get the amount of hours it takes, the craft it takes, somebody who is so demanding of your time because they don't understand that your life and your business are very interlinked. And so I don't make a distinction between work-life balance because I think if you make a distinction between work-life balance, then you're always trading up one for the other. I think it's all just life. And if you can flow effortlessly from one to another and you're with someone who really understands that too, then it's something where it's a multiplicative effect instead of subtracting from whatever you're doing. So I used to I used to compartmentalize and I used to 
be really focused on work, really focused on a relationship. And whenever I was in a relationship, it seemed to detract from work and vice versa. Instead, now I'm trying to date intentionally in such a way where either I'm in work mode or I'm in relationship mode. And if I'm trying to build a family, then like that's going to be the main focus. So for the next couple of years, it's just going to be like mainly centered around my work, my working mode. And I need to find somebody who really understands that, commiserates with that, and is doing a similar type thing so that we can build a partnership with that. And I, I've dated entrepreneurs and I've dated non-entrepreneurs. And I actually find that um, some of the people that I'm with that are the most transformative and powerful relationships are the folks that are really passionate about their own thing. And they're the ones that are constantly striving and pushing for all of that. So um, yeah, I have somebody who's kind of like my twin flame who's also a algae entrepreneur. And so I got a chance to talk to her about that. And um, one of the things that we talked about is that she also calls me her twin flame. And the two of us, when we were together, we are you're so bright and passionate that you can also burn each other quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so there, there comes a certain point, though, if you're in that kind of relationship where um, you have to be willing to be hurt, potentially for the potential of like creating this massive bonfire together and being able to like set the world on fire. Um, but there's a caveat that if you choose that, you have the potential of being hurt. The other thing that people tend to choose is whether they're in a relationship where one person is the passionate one, the other person is the kindling to that fire. And I find this happens quite a bit where you have somebody who's very entrepreneurial, very go-getter, very passionate, and they have somebody who's stable and supportive and kind of boring, to be honest. And they're the one who's behind the scenes, who's just like the foundation. And yeah, so you have to make a decision. Are you the kindling somebody else's fire? Are they the kindling to your fire? Are you going to be someone who's like, both of you are ablaze? And the most boring relationships are when people are just stick. <laughs> And no, there's no, there's no passion. There's no spark. There's no fire there. <laughs> so right now though, where you're at, are you looking to be the flame, the Kindle or the bonfire? Um, I think that I've had a merry blaze for a long time and I've kindled a lot of other people's fires doing that too. So I've, I've been really passionate about what I'm doing and it's inspired other people to ignite their own passions. Like, I've ended up, um, when I've been in relationships with people, they've moved across the country. They've ended up starting new jobs. They've ended up um, kind of building their own websites and starting personal businesses. Or they've ended up like going and moving cities to pursue their passion. And part of it, I think, is the role, the role of a supportive partner is such that uh, you are a sounding board to uncover somebody's true dreams and support them in however their dreams are. And I think where I'm at right now, I'm I'm not like actively seeking any kind of relationship. I think the first relationship that you have is with yourself. And I I've like over the past year fallen in love with myself. I'm pretty great. I think that I think that humility uh, looks so good on you, Elliot. I am the most humble. <laughs> <laughs> I think that to be in a relationship with yourself is to celebrate yourself and not not do the kind of things where you're self-critiquing all the time and yeah. understand that you exist in a process and that you're continually trying to improve and get better if you notice what's going on with yourself no, and I'm so 
Yeah, I think that if a relationship is a tree, the main branch, the main trunk of that tree is your own identity and your own self. And then there can be other offshoots of that too. No, I I totally hear that. We talked offline also about how I have been told more recently that I am intimidating, that I am aggressive in, in specifically in relationships and I think when I've done self-reflection on that, it's come down to me just being very direct and intentional on how I communicate and how I express what I personally need versus what I have the bandwidth to give to a partner. And that's been fascinating. So I really appreciate hearing the kindling versus the bonfire versus the flame yeah. Because I, I don't think that there's always going to be one person who receives just that in yeah. that relationship, right? I think that the roles are always cyclical of maybe now I need to kindle my partner or now I need their support to kindle me. Yeah. Um, but do you do you resonate at all with uh, being aggressive and uh, intimidating in partnerships? Yeah. I mean, okay, so. Make me was, feel better, was... Elliot. <laughs> I was talking to somebody recently and she she had said something like you're you're obviously incredibly intelligent and I'm like okay like and then she she said something akin to the effect of um there there are certain things that I don't and I will not be able to understand and I I was I wanted to like stop her in that moment and be like hey I want you to notice that you are undermining yourself and closing yourself off by not being open-minded, not, not actively thinking in a growth mindset. And I think that it is, it is really important that if you're building something that doesn't exist in the world, that you're constantly really struggling and grappling with this, this kind of um, other worldly challenges that you have to have militant optimism for your own ability to overcome barriers and obstacles and other things like that. However, it's such that you come up to this challenge with your ego. So if you truly believe most anything is possible given enough time and effort, then what ends up happening if you put all of your being into something and it fails? And either through no fault of your own or timing or something outside of your control. And I, I've been talking about that with a couple of entrepreneur friends and I think that that in and of itself is something that I'm grappling with right now. But to your point of like presenting in a relationship in such a way that you are showing up as you are, then somebody else is saying, oh man, like I'm, you're too much. Like there's too much going on here. There's like so much happening. That's part of the reason why I really focus on not dating civilians. <laughs> and I specifically focus on people who are self-aware, self-confident. And as we proceed in life, it seems like that dating pool shrinks over time. And so I have like this, this deep fear that I'll wake up one day and I'll be, I'll be old and my joints will be creaky. And I know age is a mindset and everything like that, but it'll be like that creepy old dude who's alone. And I don't want that, right? So, I mean, I, I just came back from my aunt's funeral and I was talking to my cousin and he expressed to me, he was saying, hey man, like I expected us to raise our kids together. And like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Like, where are you? What's going on? Like, I don't hear from you. 
And I think it's partially because family is this far off concept for a lot of entrepreneurs where you want to build something first and then go after it. And I'm trying to figure out whether or not I believe in this parallel dynamic, meaning that you can you can do both. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can have a relationship, build family, build a community and be a part of something greater than yourself because you're in the midst of creating space for other people, but do you ever really create space for yourself? So those are some of the thoughts bouncing around in my mind. No, I, I hear you. Fuck. I know I listen I resonate with a lot of what you're saying in terms of you know we are just doing the best that we can at any given moment and a lot of times you know outside people who are not on similar life paths not it's better or worse or different right it's just different and can't fully understand as as well as we need in a partnership as much as we can't really fully understand the allure of a traditional nine to five at least right now maybe once this is all done and we're all you know the kindle has been unkindled um that that maybe it'll be time for that um but Mm -hmm. for the present being now it's it's really trying to align yourselves with people that understand is what i'm hearing and, and can appreciate support and also just be present. Like that's the greatest gift. So, um, Elliot, I want to end on like words for you. Like what's something you're really excited about, passionate about right now, something we didn't talk about that you think would be good for people to know about you. I just, I want to give you the floor as the last word of the pivot conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a really good question. What am I excited about? Well, I'm, um, over the past year, a lot of bad things have happened and a lot of good things, a lot of lessons is, is kind of how I'm spinning it too. And I think one of the lessons learned is that you, you, um, if you're trying to create community around you, and I think community is one of the, one of the stages of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if you have your basic needs met, the next is community and belonging. Um, and so if you're trying to create the basic means of self-actualization, I think when you're building a community, it's very important to put together a community of people who are actively going about improving themselves and have an awareness of themselves. If you're creating a space and trying to help and fix people, you're you're bound to fail because people need to be fixing themselves. You are not responsible for other people's problems. And so that was a key lesson that I learned over the past year. And if you find yourself spending a lot of your time fixing other people's problems, then I think you need to have an awareness of what you need to fix about yourself first um, and like why you're going about fixing other people's problems and what that means for you. And in particular, um, I'm about to move to the Bay Area. So my community more or less fell apart here in Los Angeles. And I'm very excited about being around all of these enterprising people. What I'm very aware of, and this is what happens uh, with, with age more or less, is that um, I cemented my own identity to the point where I'm ready to be surrounded by people who are trying to sway me in different directions. And it's very important to have your own principles or your own moral compass because the allure of quick money or shiny things or shiny people is really is really something that can distract you from the overall goal of whatever you're working towards. Like 
yes, you could be with the most attractive person that you've ever seen, and the sex is amazing, and it's incredible, but they could be vapid and mindless and dragging your soul down into the depths of despair. <laughs> and so in particular, when you look at things at a surface level, if they appear to be fine, dive a layer deeper, look a little deeper, look a little closer and a little bit longer, and you'll end up discovering more things about yourself as well. And so I'm very excited to look very deeply um, at my company and at what I'm doing and at my life over the next couple of months and uh, reforming how I approach the world and how I approach things so that I can stop doing things from a point of survival and start really looking at what is the world that I want to build and how do I communicate that outwardly? I think that um, if you have edited your voice and you've kind of not spoken out loud whatever your true desires are into the world, uh, it's very important that you initially start and just like a baby, you're going to babble at first when you're trying to find the words. And so in particular, when you're going about trying to speak about your dreams and speak your truth and be yourself and represent yourself, it's going to be intimidating to people and they're gonna to try to tear you down. And all I, all I ask for people in this community in particular is that you just keep going and speaking your voice and eventually it'll become coherent. And so don't worry about, um, about like falling down the mountain of cringe and being weird and being fumbling with whoever you are is that you'll eventually get to the heights of being able to take a look around and be like oh this is who i am this is my voice this is what's going on and other people will find you um don't worry about it altogether too much don't don't use those dating apps don't don't go and try to find love online um you can find it in communities of people who resonate uh, with other people like you. I love that. Well, the fabulous Elliot Roth, thank you for joining us uh, for our, this incredible space talks. And I'm excited to have the community get to learn more about you and to learn more about Spira. You can check out Spira online. You can get in touch with Elliot. And um, Elliot, thanks so much for your time today. And I am so mm -hmm. appreciative for you being in our space. Me too.